How you doing? Cool. I'm good. Thank you, Marissa, if you're here. What a cool story. So, Lord, we just uh, participate with Marissa and her, her uh, inclination to clear out space for you. And right now, Lord, we just give you everything that, that's worrying us, that's tripping us up a little bit. We just give you our, our whole self as best as we can, and we say, meet us here, Lord in the person of Jesus, through your spirit. Amen. Okay. So, um, one of the cool things I loved about that story is it reminded me of a story about Mother Teresa. Uh, she came and visited a parish in Arizona, and at the part of the service where they tell the gospel, uh, she stood up. You're supposed to sit still at this point, <laughs> but she stood up, and she started opening windows and doors, and the pastor or the priest uh, asked her, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> um, she said, you're about to tell the gospel, and I want the people to hear. And that's what Marissa's story reminded me of. You know, she just wants to yell Jesus out. And when you meet Jesus, you get a little kooky at first. I'm sorry, you just do. I mean, you, because this person has captivated you, and he's real, and you found him to be this introduction to a whole new God, not the God who's angry all the time and grumpy, but a God who loves with a love that is actually offensive to us, a love that is elusive to us because we don't love that way. But when it breaks through on your heart, your mind, it's all over. It's all over. That's where real power is. So um, anyway, thank you, Marissa. We're going to we're going to deal a little bit more in-depthly with the story of Elijah that um, Ed introduced last week, and um, I think we all can agree that Ed should not quit his day job. Um, announcements are not for him. Um, he's one of the best speakers I know, and I learned greatly, but please never do the announcements again. Okay, thank you. Just kidding, Ed. Um, so we're going to pick up in 1 Kings 19.19. 19. And I'm just going to give you a little backstory to this story. This is right after Elijah was on Mount Carmel. And if you don't know the story about Mount Carmel, it's one of the most epic stories in the Bible. Elijah is on Mount Carmel, and it's him versus hundreds of Baal priests. And so Elijah says, it's on. Build an altar. You pray to your God, I'll pray to my God. Whosoever God shows up is the real God. So they build an altar, and the Baal priests pray, and they sing, and they even start cutting themselves. But Baal never shows up. Elijah gets his turn, and he steps up, and he says, let's make the altar wet. This isn't challenging enough to Yahweh. So they wet the altar, and then he just prays. Simple prayer. Fire comes down from heaven. It consumes what's on the altar, but it also consumes the altar itself. Massive victory. It says right after that victory, he goes back to the capital, Jezreel. And you gotta just, 
you, you got to just know he went back to the capital expecting that Israel had repented from its Baal worship, that they had repented from going after other gods and that they had finally realized that Yahweh was the real God. But he goes home to crickets. In fact, not just crickets, but Ahab and his crazy wife Jezebel are a little miffed. And Jezebel wants to kill him. And that's where we pick up, okay? Jezebel's not a nice lady. That's why you don't meet any girls named Jezebel these days. If you, if you name your child Jezebel, my apologies. I love the name. <laughs> we'll call her Jez. <laughs> okay, 1 Kings 19, 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and even more, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. In other words, I'm going to kill you, Elijah. And he was afraid. That's huge. Elijah was afraid. And he arose, and he ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. You don't leave your servant behind if you're going to continue on with the job you were created to do. He's quitting. That's what's happening. Verse 4, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. In other words, I want to die. I can't do this. I failed. He lay down and slept under a juniper tree, and behold, there was an angel touching him, and he said to him, Arise, eat. And then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat. The journey is too great for you. So he arose, and he ate, and he drank again. And went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. That must have been some bread. Can I get a witness? <laughs> must have had like Red Bull in it or something. But I think it's really interesting, and I just want to make a quick touch here, that when Elijah was super overwhelmed... God made him a dinner. God didn't talk to him except to say, hey, get up. There's some food there for you. God is so cool, isn't he? I mean, Elijah was done. And God didn't give him a pep talk. He made him some food. So, verse 9. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there and behold the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him what are you doing here Elijah he said I've been very zealous for the Lord the God of hosts for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword and I alone am left and they seek my life to take it away so the Lord said go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. 
And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out, stood at the mouth of the cave. Then the voice said to him, what are you doing? (laughs) That's what the voice of the Lord said to Elijah. What are you doing? What are you doing here? (laughs) His leg is a good fella. What are you doing? Are you kidding me? I made you some pasta. What are you doing here? You know, Mount Horeb has another name. It's, It's Mount Sinai. I mean, this is the mountain of the Lord. This is where God shows up. It's where he showed up to Moses. Some theologians even think that this cave, this cleft in which Elijah was, may have been what Elijah thought was the same cleft that Moses was in when Moses requested to see God. He was desperate to hear from God. And God showed up in a still, small voice. And I think if you look throughout Scripture, you will see a common quality in God's voice. It's not always this, but the common quality is that it is typically still and small. I mean... At Pentecost, it says God came in a mighty wind and there was tongues of fire. So it's not like God can't come in other ways. But when you look at the dominant way God talks to people throughout scriptures, it's through this still, small, unassuming, kind of like voice, you know? Like, you got to just... Look at the ministry of Jesus to get a good picture for this still small voice that God likes to speak in, okay? Jesus' ministry is hilarious. He does all these crazy miracles, and then he goes, don't say anything. <laughs> like, really? Dude, like, I didn't have a foot, now I have a foot. I can't tell anybody, <laughs> you know? <laughs> that's, that's a cool story, you know, when you're sitting around at the, at the pub and stuff. Like, um, it says in Mark eight twenty seven through 30, then Jesus and his disciples went to the villages of Caesarea Philippi on the way. He asked his disciples, who do, who do people say that I am? They said, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, of course, the loud mouth says, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. And then he warned him not to tell anyone about him. What are you doing? this still small voice apparently God's got apparently there's a purpose why he approaches us with this still small voice have you ever wondered why I do all the time I mean think about it he spoke in parables parables are enigmatic stories about deep spiritual truths why was he speaking in parables we're going to get to that we're going to briefly touch that, but just right now, just why, why were you so about everything? Really cool story. One of the people who helps us plan weekend services, her name's April King. Amazing woman. She's married to an amazing man, Greg King. And Greg King, uh, April was telling us this story once when we were having a programming meeting, and I asked her if I could share it. It's hilarious. Greg. Her husband, he tends to be a workaholic, okay? Psst, shh, don't, 
okay? Um, and around this time in his life, he was working, 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 working. And April said, you know, man, I wish Greg would get in his kayak and go just take a break. So she would occasionally drop a hint to Greg, but April's the kind of woman that doesn't like to nag. So she would just drop the hint and leave it at that. Well, one day, Greg got the hint, and he's like, all right, you know what? I'm going to go out on the kayak. But instead of going out on the kayak by himself, being the guy that he is, he invites two college students to go with him. So instead of being some time for Greg to just chill with him and God and relax and get some peaceful time, it's now a mentoring session, okay? That's just who he is. He's, he, he's constantly working, 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 working. So he's going to go kayaking with these two college students. College student number one calls, says, I can't go. College, college student number two calls, says, I can't go. All of a sudden, Greg is like, I got nobody to go with. I'm not going to go. April is beside herself because she knows, she knows, she knows that he needs to go. But she doesn't want to nag him, right? She doesn't want to bug Greg. (laughs) So she's wrestling with this inside and she pulls up to a light. In front of her, there is a Volkswagen bug. And on the license plate, it says this, Bug Greg. (laughs) I mean, come on. If that's not, I don't know what is. God is, he's so cool. He's so cool. The still small voice came on a freaking license plate. <laughs> now, and here's the fruit of that. You know you've heard from God. You really heard from God when it bears tons of fruit. And Greg has not stopped kayaking since. And that was years ago, right? I mean, he kayaks all the time. In fact, I surf with him and he, he kayak surfs and, and he's really good at it because he's always going. It's just really, really cool to see how that word from God changed a man's life. This is the quality of God's voice. Now, what is a common quality of those who hear from God? Well, let's jump into that. There's a common quality throughout Scripture of those who actually hear from Him, because if we're going to talk about deciphering the voice of God in the world today, it's a good idea to look at people who have had a knack for deciphering the voice of God. And so I want to zone in on just one quality, because we only have so much time. One quality of those people, okay? So in Matthew 13, 9 through 15, picking up on the question that the disciples asked Jesus, you know, why do you speak in parables? Starting in verse 19, he says, he who has ears, or she, let him hear. And the disciples came to him and said, Jesus, why are you always speaking in parables? And Jesus answered them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, and apparently the disciples have, what? I don't know yet. But they have something. To him, more shall be given. More of what? Well, hold on. Let's look at it. And he will have an abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he or she has will be taken from them. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, 
And while hearing, they don't hear. They don't understand. It seems like there's two kinds of ears y'all have and I have. There's the ear that actually hears uh, frequencies. And then there's this ear inside your soul. It's the ears of the will that choose to hear or not. Apparently, the disciples have the latter. And, and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the super religious people of that day, they don't got it. Point. What the disciples have is ears. And that's just a figure of speech, meaning attention. They are, as we say it around this time, they're all ears. You know, listen to it. Verse 9. He who has ears, hear this. And then he says, to you it has been granted. What's been granted? Ears. Of the will. To hear. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why God, uh, Jesus spoke in parables. The dominant one is because he's speaking to people who have space in their life to hear. He's speaking to people who don't have all kinds of preconceived notions that I bring to the table, that you bring to the table on what he's going to sound like and what he's going to say. It's space. Going on in verse 14, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. Their hearts have become dull. Their hearts have become unaware. Their hearts have become not attentive. Their hearts have become distracted. Their hearts are, you know, like mine, you know? And, you know, distraction is another way of saying busy, which is another way of saying there's not a lot of room in your life, which is another way of saying claustrophobic, which conjures up ideas of closet-like spaces, which could also be called prison. And a lot of us, all of us kind of have this tendency as humans, because we're kind of broken, we're kind of like tweaked, to tend towards closed spaces, because we perceive them as a place where we can control things and we can be safe. But then we look around and the walls look a lot like prison. That's not God's plan for us, by the way, and we'll get to that. But With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. You know, you would think they would want to hear the stuff God is saying, but they had no space for what Jesus was saying. They had already figured it out. Their cache of how God works and what God thinks was already full of presuppositions. Contrary to this, the one who hears, they have ears. In other words, they've turned down the noise. They are listening. They are available. They are open. There's two reasons why we can't hear stuff. Either your hearing mechanism is broken or there's noise. 
Um, Want to guess which one is more common in the Bible for not hearing the voice of God? Noise. This is job one in discerning the voice of God. Turn it down. Some of you are saying, yeah, it's too loud in the mornings when we play music. I get those cards sometimes. Not sure what to say about that because it's not my hand on the... No, no I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I just threw you under the bus, Ed. Sorry about that, man. Um, listen, I say this. If we're going to say something, there's some times in worship where we're going to be quiet. And we're going we're gonna to be quiet because we're listening. But sometimes God has given us something to say. And so we're going to say it. We're going to say it loud. Psalms talks about a clash of cymbals. That is not a quiet instrument. So I don't need, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to offend anybody because for those of you who like it quiet, hey, hopefully we are 50% quiet and we are creating space for you. But when we say something, we're going to say it and I invite you to come with us. We're going to say it with oomph, but hopefully at a place where it's not offensive. So we, we, we really want to be that and honor each other in that way. You know, Jesus really modeled this spacious living, this um, turning down the noise thing. Notice what Jesus did when he had a big decision to make. It says in Luke 4, after um, he had been baptized, the Spirit led him out into the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights. That's a lot of space. I mean, it was just him and God and the angels. Really cleared out. There was also another person there, though. It was Satan. And Jesus was out there in the solitude and in the silence doing battle. Becoming, resisting the devil in the areas that he knew were going to be primary temptations for him in his ministry. When he comes back, after that time in the desert, in the next chapter, it shows us that he chooses his 12 disciples. This is common. Right before Jesus does big things or changes the trajectory of his ministry, he's, he's, right before those times, he's always gone off to a quiet place. He's cleared out space. I mean, look at it in Mark 1, 35 through 39. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. He got to that quiet place where he could hear, where he could clear out the noise. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. There's stuff to do. The noise beckons, Lord. And he said to them, you know what? Let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Listen, Jesus told people who needed to be healed. That in that moment, Jesus said to Simon Peter, hey, I'm not going to go over there and heal those people. I'm actually going to move on. Isn't that crazy? That Jesus heard the voice of God, and instead of responding to a group of people who really wanted him, he moved on to another village to do something else. That's, that seems contrary to the ministry of Jesus, doesn't it? No. And in fact, 
if we let people always tell us where to go and what to do, well, that's just the path of least resistance, isn't it? Jesus would not have known that his ultimate goal was to go to Jerusalem, to spread the word of the coming kingdom of God. Uh, he, he needed that time in the midst of the Father to be able to say to the voices of people, here's what you should do. Actually, no, here's what I need to do. I mean, it's really easy to mistake the voice of God for the voice of people. And getting into silence and solitude with God is critical in being able to discern that difference. See, the people who hear have made space for grace. And we say that a lot around here. It just means space for God. Space to let God show himself rather than filling in the space with all kinds of things. Now, I want to broaden the concept of space. Spaciousness comes in many forms. You may not need to turn things down. You may actually need to just clear things out. Okay? Now, it's really interesting. Um, when you look at space throughout the Bible, it's, it's really a huge concept. And it, it's clear that God digs space. Now, when we look at clutter, it has many forms, okay? Clutter of space is a mess. Clutter of sound is noise. Clutter of thought is confusion. Clutter of feel, it's pain. That's discomfort. Clutter of emotion is stress and despondency. But look at spaciousness. There is spaciousness of sound. We call this silence. There is the spaciousness of environment. We call this expanse or space. There is spaciousness of thought. We call this clarity. There is spaciousness of feel. We call this comfort. There is spaciousness of emotion. We call this peace. There's something about space that is inherently good. You know, if you look at the Hebrew word for salvation, it's yasha. Yasha is used 353 times. Its root meaning, trip out on this, to make wide. The contrary word, the opposite word used in the Old Testament is sarar. That is to make narrow, which means be restricted or cause distress. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever read The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis? Read it. It's a fictional story, and it's a picture of heaven and hell. And do you know what, you know what C.S. Lewis says about hell, which is so brilliant, that all of hell is no bigger than the tip of a pin. It is a claustrophobic space. It is small. But heaven, it's an expanse. It's wide open, baby. That's what God has for us. And so that's why you see verses like this, Psalm 118.5. I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me, and he set me in a large place. 2 Samuel 22.20. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. Genesis 26.22. 
He moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has made room, baby. Room. Space. Some of you feel the claustrophobic stuff in your life, and God wants to bring you into space. He wants to clear out the noise and speak to you. That's what he's inviting uh, you and me into. Psalm 31 8. And, um, and hast not delivered me into the hand of the enemy, thou hast set my feet in a broad place. One more, Psalm eighteen nineteen. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. I like reading these because it makes salvation very relevant. I mean, salvation sometimes, let's be honest, it's just a church word. <laughs> you know, what do you mean, dude? Here's what I mean. I mean something like this. I mean, something that is like, imagine, and you know, this doesn't do it justice. If I could just take this picture and stretch it across the whole front of the room. In fact, if I could just rip you out of your seats and send you to the top of the Himalayas and have you go with a, an oxygen mask, of course, and just go, whoa, that's what salvation is. Can I get a witness? Let it bubble. Come on. <laughs> Salvation is a place that when you feel it, you will feel a freedom. It will be like you're drinking freedom juice. (laughs) Yeah, that landed. No, it didn't. As opposed to this, that's where we all want to live. It's weird. We kind of like go there. We get ourselves into a cave of debt and we get ourselves into a cave of regret and we get us into a cave of, is there another et? I can't think of one, but you know what I mean? We tend to there, but God has planned for us salvation, wide open spaces. And it's in those wide open spaces that he's speaking to us and that still small voice, but the noise, the clutter of frequencies in your lives and my lives, it's so hard to hear him sometimes. Isn't it interesting that the cleared out, silent, thin whisper is what invited Elijah in? Do you remember the story? The earthquake, the fire. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Notice, Elijah didn't go out during the earthquake. (laughs) And he didn't jump into the fire or the wind. But when the still small voice came, Elijah put his cloak over his head and he walked out. That's because silence, space invites us in. That's because the special effect of space is that it creates the opportunity for relationship. You know this because when your kid goes like this and they open up their body to you, it says, relate to me, hold me, I want to be close. And when we clutter our lives with so many things that we think are God, so many good things that we've called ultimate, (laughs) we go like this. Um, you know, it's it really interesting when you listen to certain kinds of music, there's, um, there's a music that, um, started in the early nineties. It's called shoegazer music. Any shoegazer fans here? No, I didn't think so. Shoegazer, um, 
basically you turn the volume up to 11 and you turn the reverb up to 11 and you just go. (laughs) And it's just like this wall of sonic goes over the crowd, right? It's like, there's just, it's just spit. It's just like a wall, right? And it's offensive. I even kind of like it, but, 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 but it's the kind of thing that kind of gets you like, ugh, it's kind of repelling. So if, if I was to play shoegazer music for you, you'd be like, oh, okay, this is, yeah, it's good. It kind of, and then, then we would shut it off. And then we, and what, what if we got a string quartet up here and they started playing this cleared out piece where the cello is complimenting the viola and the two violins are soaring above them and there's space between the notes. You know what will happen? It just will happen. You will be drawn in because there's someone in the space. Do you see? The reason why silence is so compelling to us is because we innately understand that there's someone in the silence. That the universe is not just material, but that there's a God behind the universe and that he wants to talk to you. So when you get out into the forest and it's super cleared out and quiet, you feel like you're relating to someone. Do you know why you feel that way? Because you are. You're relating to somebody. He's there. That's why I tell my musicians, less notes, we are shaping the silence. We are shaping the silence because he is in the silence. He's speaking to us. He's in the notes too in a different sort of way, but that still small voice is speaking to us. Now, let's just move this to us real quick. It says in uh, 1 Kings 19.18, I want to I just kind of talk about space in terms of something very specific. We all have, we were made to worship. Picture yourself as a temple. You were made to worship. The question is, who is being worshiped in that temple? We have a tendency, like Israel did, to have all kinds of gods in our pantheon. Look at this in 1 Kings 19, 18. This is what God says to Elijah. He says, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. In other words, what God's saying to Elijah there is he's saying, I got 7,000. 7,000 back home who have not cluttered their lives with all kinds of gods, who have space for grace, who have left open their lives for me to hear from me, for me to guide them, for me to be in relationship with them. That's all God's ever wanted, you know? I mean, when you read that central phrase that Israel has been saying for centuries, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your lev, and with all your soul, your nefesh, with all your strength, your miod. Jesus said it like this, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Why did he change it 
I think he changed it for the Greeks because the Greeks didn't know that the heart, like the Hebrews understood it, was part of the mind. The Greeks separated the mind from the heart. Basically, what Jesus was saying was this, your whole self, all of you, we think of it like this, your lev, this is how one theologian pictures it, your lev is your heart, the heart of your life, okay? This is your will. This is where your whole life flows out of. This is where you find what's central to you, what you really care about. And that's the area that tends to get cluttered up with all kinds of other good things being made into ultimate things and ultimately God. And out of the lev flows the nefesh. And then the, nef- the nefesh, your soul, the, the, the life of you, the, 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 the essence of you flows then to the miod, what you do, your life, what your life looks like, the strength that you let out. Basically, he's just talking about your whole self. Blaise Pascal said it like this. To make us happy, our faith must show us that a God exists whom we are bound to love and that our only true bliss is to be in him and our soul ill is to be cut off from him. You and I, our whole selves, were created for him. So we're gonna, um, I'm going to invite the band up. And I want us, as we go into this time of worship, to do, just do some time with God. Um, we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do. We're going to allow the Holy Spirit to clear out space. Honestly, there's some heavy lifting you can't do. I think it's all of it. So we're going to sit at the presence of God right now. And I want you to ask these questions. What is cluttering my spirit, my heart, my will, and keeping me from hearing you, Lord? What's cluttering my mind, my thoughts, and my feelings, and keeping me from hearing you, Lord? It could be a philosophy that you've bought into. Maybe you've seen the movie Zeitgeist. And it's just crowded you since you watched it. I don't know. Has anybody seen Zeitgeist here? It's just a movie out there that has all kinds of philosophies and says a lot of things about faith. That's just one example of the many philosophies that crowd out God and his wanting to speak to us. It could be feelings. I mean, remember Elijah was, was tore up. I mean, he was scared and he was despondent. Those feelings were crowding stuff out. But remember what God did for him. He made him dinner. And this morning as you sit and you worship, let God make you dinner. Let him come next to you and make you a meal and just feast. Feast on his goodness. Because it's that that clears stuff out. Okay? Your body. What's cluttering your body Maybe you're just too busy, no downtime, always tired. Maybe you, maybe you need to just go out to the mountains and chill. What's cluttering my social life, my social self? Is it bitter feelings towards another p- person? Let him, let him make you a dinner. Let him compel you to forgive that person. 
It will be better for you than them. You ready? Okay. We're going to do offering as we start this. And offering is just part of our worship here. So we don't want you to feel compelled if you're our guest. Just relax. Um, this is our way of saying, God, you're at the center of our lives. And we do it in faith and in joy. Lord, as we go forward right now, we just ask that your spirit would meet us and that you would cook for us. In Jesus' name, amen.